Hey, welcome to The Vessel, where beauty, yoga, and philosophy intersect. I'm your host, Vanessa Dove, model, yogini, and moonlight philosopher. Hey, hey, welcome back to The Vessel. This is episode two, Welcome to American Yoga. So the purpose of this episode is to talk about yoga as is practiced in Turtle Island, also known as the United States of America. We also want to talk about the stereotypes people have of yoga in this episode, um, as well as the experiences of practicing students here. So I've got some great guests coming on later black yoga teachers in the United States, and we're going to talk a bit more in detail about the culture of doing yoga in America and all the complexities that that entails. You know, when I put the word American in front of yoga, I immediately think of things like cultural appropriation um, and, and some crazy things too, like goat yoga, beer yoga, gun yoga. You know, and these things all exist, and they definitely exist here in California. Uh, but that's just me. You know, I, I think a, a lot of people, what they think of when they hear the word yoga is skinny women, usually white, uh, usually middle class, and usually in very expensive gym clothing that's usually very tight and shows off every part of their bodies. People also think of complicated postures, you know, handstands, splits. And covers of yoga magazines don't really help. You know, you often see the cover girl or cover boy doing some intense asana. And it's it's very impressive, a little bit scary sometimes. And overall, it's really intimidating. And generally, yoga in the United States is practiced at yoga studios or gyms. Uh, but now, in the age of COVID-19, most people spend their time watching YouTube videos or taking online yoga subscriptions, you know, and this is now yoga in America in 2020. The latest statistic that I looked up said that 20,400,000 people in America practice yoga, you know, and I really wonder what that looks like, especially now. Like if you were to ask every single one of these people to define what yoga is to them in a few words, I really wonder what words would come up and if there'd be any similarities, overlaps, uh, wildly eccentric and personal definitions, you know, so I'm pretty excited to share the conversation that I'm going to have uh, later with these two other teachers. But so first, let's actually talk about how yoga even came to the U.S. So interesting fact. Many of the yoga poses that are practiced in classes were actually borrowed from Indian wrestling. Happy baby. That came from the wrestling stretch. So wrestling is a really old sport in India, and it really became popular post-independence 1947. Wrestling, or kushti as it's called, is symbolic of Indianness and Indian strength. Somatic nationalism. Embodied nationalism. And, you know, nationalism is the identification with one's country, having support for the country's interest, especially at the exclusion of other nations. Now, there are kind of two types of nationalism. Um, It's ultimately a tool of colonialism and imperialism, but it's also a reaction 
to colonialism and imperialism. So, you know, wrestling was popular. And around this time, the working class in Europe had started to grow. And, you know, people were looking for jobs. And there were a lot of working jobs, factory jobs available. But these required that people do a lot of hard labor and do repetitive movements. So fitness started to become a really big thing when people took jobs that took a toll on their bodies. You know, jobs that weren't made for human bodies, but were worked by human bodies regardless. Physical yoga became popular because it was seen as a tool to help the working class stay fit. And it was also presented side by side with this masculinized sport of wrestling. So you have a practice to help the working class, popular among strong men, and wrapped in somewhat of a secular package. This made it spread to Europe. And as we know, anything European eventually trickled down into white American mainstream culture. So, you know, at first, though, when yoga came to the United States, it really was not that popular. Some of the first writers on yoga and followers of yoga were the writers Walt Whitman and Henry David Thoreau. So both of these people in the early 1800s were some of the first yogis and wrote about practicing yoga. Um, But at the time, it was really unpopular simply because it was Indian. You know, it came from brown people who had been colonized. And more importantly, it wasn't Christian. And while we know that, uh, you know, um, yoga is spiritually pluralistic, most interpretations of Christianity are not. So spiritual pluralism is the mindset that all spiritualities lead to the same place or being able to have a spirituality and be centered in that and also recognize the validity of other spiritualities. So it's a really harmoni- uh, a harmonizing way to live in the world, especially when we have so many different types of uh, indigenous beliefs, spiritualities, and you know evolutions of what religion is today. So in the next episode, I'll actually be talking a little bit more about how yoga first came here and who some of the leading crusaders of yoga were. But for now, let's look at when yoga first started to become popular. So, you know, you have in the 1800s when yoga first came to the United States. Um, And then in the 1960s, immigration laws in regards to people from India started to loosen in the United States. So you started to have a lot more Indian men and women who moved to the U.S. Now, obviously, not all of them came with the intent of teaching yoga, but some of them did. Among them, Yogi Bhajan and Kundalini Yoga, BKS Iyengar in Iyengar Yoga, Swami Muktananda with Siddhi Yoga, Swami Prabhupada with Krishna Consciousness, Satya Narayan with Vipassana Meditation, Maharishi Mahesh Yogi with Transcendental Meditation, uh, and these were a few men from India. So uh, in 1972, A female guru from Bengal, Guru Anjali, built an ashram, which is a monastic community, in Long Island, New York. So ashrams are different from yoga studios because they're not places of business, at least not first. 
Uh, it's specifically for people to come, live, work in service, and learn about yoga from a guru, a qualified teacher. So Guru Anjali taught her interpretation of Raja Yoga, which is royal yoga. And she read and taught the Yoga Sutra of Patanjali. She got popular because she taught yoga from a very non-sectarian perspective. And this really turned on seekers in America who wanted something real, but didn't really want the label of religion. Her teaching was described as pluralist, inclusive, and accessible. So her yoga was hot. And after the 60s and 70s, Yoga really continued to grow in popularity uh, and in conjunction with gym culture for the next 30 years. And then, in 1998, yoga pants were invented. Uh, They were invented by a man named Chip Wilson. Uh, And this is when, you know, yoga words and yoga terminology became co-opted by big businesses. Uh, You know, simply put, yoga was popular and businesses capitalized on pop culture. And that's that. Uh, You know, uh, in 2018, the yoga clothing market size was evaluated to be $31.3 billion. Not million, billion. And it's estimated that by 2025, the market is going to be worth $47.8 billion. So, you know, if there's that much money being invested into yoga clothing, it's going to be visible. It's going to create an aesthetic. And the mass purchasing of this aesthetic is going to create a culture. That's just how it works. So, you know, I think after understanding how big business became involved in yoga, it kind of makes sense why uh, yoga visibility is the way it is and why when a lot of us think of yoga or when we're first introduced to yoga, we have this conception of, the yoga clothes, the yoga pants, you know, and, and people that have access to these expensive products, right, which generally tend to be middle class people, generally tend to be white people. And, you know, because this is yoga is seen as kind of an alternative medicine, alternative spirituality that really attracts a lot of women. So, you know, it is what it is. But uh, let's take a break. And after the break, we're going to dive into my model pick of the week. Super excited about this one. And then we're going to talk to our guests. Welcome back. So for my model pick of the week, I am choosing hands down Alton Mason. Uh, He was GQ's man of the year for GQ Australia. And he's currently signed to IMG New York, Paris, Milan, London, and Los Angeles. Uh, He's one of the top 50 models right now, and he is undeniably hot. 
Um, so uh, one of his latest works that he did was actually a short film called Rise in Light set in place in Lagos, Nigeria. This was Mason's first time in Africa. Uh, and he's quoted as saying, being an African-American, there are so many different perceptions of Africa that are taught to us in school and through the media. But the moment I landed and drove into the city of Lagos, all of those American perceptions based on fear were proven false. I was immediately captivated by nature, the land, the buildings, the water and the spirit of the country, which made me free to create the song and video in this sacred place. I felt home. So this short film is really beautiful. Um, I got a chance to see it when I was doing research, uh, making this model pick of the week. So it's called Rise in Light. And it was co-directed by uh, Nigerian-American filmmaker Amarichi Nwosu, as well as Iranian-Canadian artist and cinematographer Souf Light. Uh, the video was originally planned as an intro to his uh, music career. So Mason started off as a dancer. At the age of 17, he was accepted into the American Musical Dramatic Arts Academy in Los Angeles. So he used to perform as a backup dancer for P. Diddy, um, a bunch of other stars, and then he got scouted on Instagram. And after he got scouted, he started his runway career, uh, walking for the likes of Gucci, Prada, and more. Um, he was also the first black male model to be employed by Chanel. So, you know, and this was kind of a big controversy because Chanel has been around for so long. Um, and I actually didn't know that there had never been a black male model that they'd used. So, you know, that was a big deal. For him, especially being so young and so new to the industry, uh, but he has just been on fire. One of my favorite works by him is his cover and spread that he did with GQ Germany for March 2020 called Cosmic Dancer. Uh, the spread was shot by Louis Banks uh, and as well as styled by Luke Day. And it's just everything about it is just top notch. Um, if you haven't gotten a chance to see it, please look it up. It's GQ Germany's March 2020 Cosmic Dancer. Um, you can also find Alton Mason on his Instagram. It is his name, Alton Mason. That's A-L-T-O-N-M-A-S-O-N. So if you haven't gotten a chance to check him out, uh, please do, as well as looking at uh, his short film, Rise in Light. Uh, it also supports uh, COVID-19 relief in Nigeria, and it is just a beautiful, cinematic, um, dreamy short film. It's only three and a half minutes long, and I promise you it will make your day just like it made mine. So moving on to our next section, uh, I've got some really great guests here today. So for our guest portion, I invited two yoga teachers that I thought would be really key to talk to about American yoga. So we've got first off is Christina Modest. She is a yoga teacher and rest advocate born and raised in the Bay Area. I also have a 28-year-old world traveler, poet, and podcaster, as well as yoga teacher from the Gambia, Olga Forster Balda. Hey Vanessa. Hey. Hi Vanessa. Hey Olka, Christina. Welcome to the vessel. How are you? Amazing. 
I'm doing great. Thank you for having us. Of course. Yeah. Um, to be honest, when I thought of, you know, modern yoga and, and what modern yoga looks like in my life, you were some of the first people that I thought of. So, you know, I thought it would be valuable for us to have a conversation about, you know, what it's like to be yoga teachers and practitioners today. So, uh, Christina, tell me about a little bit about yourself and about yoga. Like, what is yoga to you? What does yoga look like to you? Oh, good question. Um, well, a little bit about me. I am born and raised in the Bay Area um, and recently moved back after living in Brooklyn for a few years. Um, and yoga to me... Um, that's a great question. I feel like it's such a layered question. Um, yoga to me is a means of finding clarity. It's how I get grounded. It is a means of self-expression. Um, it's been an interesting journey for me to like learn about my body and explore movement through yoga. So that's kind of a little bit about what yoga has brought to me that's that great question yeah no absolutely um I mean I like what you said about how it, defining what yoga is is kind of a layered response right so the more that I ask people this question it's like the more layers that I find myself and honestly the more questions that I have you know some of these teachers very deeply and it was just it was really, it was everything that I was looking for, you know, these beautiful women who were validating me and, you know, supporting me. And I, I worked through so much trauma and so much, so many self-esteem issues by, you know, having this practice and doing the same postures over and over. So for the yoga studio for me was a place where I first found love Ooh. and where I first found support. Um, you know, growing up, my family, my parents, they loved me very conditionally, yeah. right? So it was very like, sometimes they would show love, but then other times it would be very cold. And, you know, I felt like I never really got what I needed. So my whole life, I've been looking for a place to find, you know, the love and, and touch and support that I didn't get growing up. They were these gorgeous beautiful women who were very radiant mm -hmm. and they were very fit and mm -hmm. you know very stern sometimes very serious but then you know they would always pay attention to me and then they would give me adjustments and then you know mm. I did kind of the same thing that you did and I did work trade for several yeah. years yeah. for me that's kind of how I got you know got into yoga and why it stuck so much for me is because it always felt like love so you know I have to ask you uh Christina what do you like to wear when you practice yoga? Uh, do you wear yoga leggings? You know what? I'm, I have a confession. I honestly really fucking hate yoga clothes. <laughs> oh, my God. I'm so happy you said that, oh honestly. Um, Olka, tell me a little bit about what yoga is to you and some of your experiences that you automatically think of. Uh, remember when you hear the word yoga. Cool. Yeah. Um, my name is Olka. I am originally from the Gambia, West Africa, but have been around a lot of places in the U.S. since then. Um, and yoga for me is really a measure, almost a marker of wellness for <laughs> my personal journey. I know 
how well I'm doing or how well I'm feeling based on how much yoga I'm doing. (laughs) Um, It's, you know, if I'm doing yoga every single day, I know there's going to be a place in my day, physical yoga, I should say, physical asana. I know that there's going to be a place in my day where I'm going to ground, reset, let everything go and really have that mental clarity that nothing else can give me. Um, And also to me, it's always a good indication of my commitment to my wellness practices at that time. Um, And when I'm not doing any yoga, physical yoga, I know that maybe I'm struggling a little bit more. Um, And it's, you know, it's an indicator for me. So I really like that. Um, That reminds me of when you do the same sequence over and over, how it really becomes a measure for how you're doing, right? Because the postures, the sequence stays the same, but you're Mm -hmm. the one that changes. And you get to see that when you practice something uh, every day. Um, So yeah, and that brings me to, you know, talking about practice, where do we practice, right? I know we've all taught, met, and and practiced yoga ourselves at studios, but what what is a yoga studio even for? You know, what is, why is a yoga studio the way that it is today? Um, And, you know, I think being black yogis, there's sometimes this misconception that yoga is specifically a white thing and that it's specifically something that, you know, skinny, middle-class white women practice. Um, But this hasn't really been the case for me. Uh, But I'm curious about what your experiences have been. Um, Olga, maybe we can start with you. Uh, Has there been diversity in the studios that you teach and and visit? For most of the eight years that I've been practicing physical asana, there has been very little diversity. (laughs) Um, I would say that for most of my yoga journey, I have definitely been faced with that level of non-diversity and definitely a lot of skinny white women um, and having to be in those spaces. And I think when I have found a studio where, for example, the teacher is bigger bodied or they're black or they're a brown person, it makes it feel so much more like home. Um, It makes it feel so much more accessible when you know, the person who's teaching the class who can do all of the asanas does have a bigger body. And like, that's been something that's been really um, cool to discover as I've gone through my yoga journey, kind of seeking those places out more intentionally and really finding that they are more, you know, well able to hold me as a person, my entire being, my wholeness and how much comfort I can find in that place. Um, And I think the studio that I'm at now um, that you all know about is probably the most diverse place that I've ever practiced. And I think that's also a shout out to the Bay Area, you know. Absolutely. Uh, Christina, what have your experiences been like with diversity at the studio? Um, Similarly to Olka, definitely most of the studios, or at least the first couple of studios that I think I began to grow my practice have been very white Um, except for one studio that I have found out here and another one that I found in Brooklyn. I think most of them have been predominantly white and they have a very direct marketing scheme that they're trying to get to. Um, 
but I feel like most of the studios that have been foundational in helping me grow my practice have all been studios of color. Um, both of them were actually run by black women. So that was also something that really made yoga seem more um, inviting. Uh, I also just feel like black people in general are not like the idea of community is not foreign to us. Mm. So that's something I try to let most people who say that like, oh, this yoga situation is only for white women. The main purpose of us like joining in like a studio, I feel like is for community. And that's something that I think comes to innately to a lot of us. Um, And I think that's important that we carry that into the yogic space as well absolutely yeah um what you said about community i mean that's so important um and you know i think one of the reasons why i haven't really had too many experiences with not diverse studios is because if i show up somewhere and you know it's not diverse i leave i mean of course i'll take the class if i you know showed up to take the class but the places that i've always stuck around the longest were a hundred percent places where I felt like I could actually connect with others. Um, and you know, connection. Is yoke. Right. Um, and so I think that studios should be places that yoke people together. Um, there was this one time though, I went to this studio and it was supposed to be a yin class. It was Monday at like noon or maybe like 1030. And I got in there and it was like all older women. It was like all mostly white women. Mm. It was like super old and like, there was no one else my age. Um, and I was so concerned that I had like crashed some like senior yoga I I kept asking the teacher I was like is this a senior class is this a senior (laughs) class and she was just like no this is for everyone so I'm thinking to myself well why the fuck isn't everyone here so anyway you know I did the class and I was uncomfortable the whole time um you know I I was like wow what if someone like passes out or, or I don't know I was just concerned so I didn't go back there um, but yeah, yeah, I think it's, it's kind of a gamble sometimes when you show up at a studio and especially with the way that, you know, people find out about studios, you know, what through class pass or online, you really don't know until you show up, right. What you're getting yourself into. Um, but, uh, something else I think is interesting is what people wear when they practice yoga. Um, I've definitely Mm. been at studios where, you know, you come to class and it's like, everybody is wearing the same thing. It might be a different color, (laughs) but like it's, it's the same stretchy leggings and the same crop top. And, you know, for men, it's the same basketball shorts, you know? um, So I kind of want to know what, what's your opinion about yoga wear? Like, what do you wear when you practice and is it different at home versus the studio uh, Christina, what are your thoughts? Um, I think when I'm at home, I literally wear whatever my mood is dictating. Um, I'm not really someone who enjoys like how constrictive a lot of the yoga clothes are, like most of their spandex and stuff like that. But for me, that's not the most comfortable thing to practice in. For me, I'll probably like practice in boxers and like a sports bra or something. Mm-hmm. Um just so I can have that 
freedom to move. I don't think I was really aware of what I was wearing until I started teaching yoga and just making sure that I'm being mindful that like what I am wearing is not like creating an unsafe space for like I don't want it to be like a distraction so in general I'll probably like lean more towards like wearing black or something um I think yeah I think that's probably it for me I just like to wear literally whatever my mood is calling for I really feel that um (laughs) I feel the same yeah I like what you said about freedom um, when I move, like, I don't want to feel like I've stuffed myself into some kind of like sausage mm-hmm. casing. And then I mm-hmm. feel that on me every time I move, you know, and I kind of like the gentle sweep of fabric on my skin when I'm moving, you know, when I'm wearing something kind of loose and, and flowy. Mm-hmm. Uh, Olka, how about you? Yeah, first of all, I honestly love this question. I love it so much um, because I think it's one of the ways that does really signal belonging or who is supposed to be here or, you know, quote unquote, not supposed to be here based on what everyone is wearing um, Mm -hmm. in a yoga studio or yoga practice. I know that my personal experience, you know, I'm a refugee to this country and at least for the first you know, two thirds of my being here, my experience has been one of lower middle class to like straight up at the poverty line or underneath it. Um, And for my family, that meant a lot of thrift store shopping or just like not getting the newest thing. Um, And that has had a really huge influence on my life. And so when I was in college and I started doing yoga It was really intimidating being in rooms where everyone is wearing Lululemon, everyone is wearing Mm -hmm. Under Armour. You know those leggings cost at least $100. And for me, Mm -hmm. that's like food for like three weeks, you know, uh, making that money stretch. And so that was something I was very, very self-conscious about for the first couple of years that I would do yoga, that I was always in whatever I had, um, which, you know, wasn't necessarily what fit in with what everyone else was wearing. Um, You know, I think I quickly did discover like, oh, t-shirts aren't great for yoga because, you know, you do a forward fold and now your t-shirt's on your face (laughs) instead of on your body. Um, But, you know, just like owning two sports bras and just washing those back and forth. Like, you know, I think it's, it's something that really isn't thought about, you know, the role of clothing um, and belonging in yoga and how that makes you feel even to this day I still you know I'm not in the same financial situation that I'm in that I was in growing up but I still find it really difficult to buy things like Lululemon or Under Armour I find the price point still to be like really impractical for someone who grew up in that mindset Um, and still you know I just wear solid black tights that I like buy in bulk and because I'm like a bigger thigh person they get like holes in the thighs and I just replace them (laughs) but they're like 10 bucks and um, you know that and a sports bra is usually what I wear Um, and it's important for me honestly too to probably continue doing that for the rest of my yoga practice because for me it isn't about what I'm wearing or what the label is, or if, you know, my top and my bottom are matching in a really sweet, cute way. 
Um, it really is about the practice and getting into my body. And like, once I'm in the practice, I don't even remember all of that. I don't even know if I'm wearing clothes mm. or not. So <laughs> yeah. yeah, I love this question. Thanks, Vanessa. <clears throat> yeah, no, it's definitely something that I think I started to think about more when I was managing a yoga studio. Um, I was managing a hot yoga studio. So, you know, I would want to practice at the end of my shift, but I had just been sitting for seven hours in a fucking hot studio. I, I don't give a fuck about changing my clothes. I'm going to fucking practice in my army pants and my tank top. It mm -hmm. is what it is. You know what I mean? And I was so many times I would be the only one who would be dressed like that. But see, it didn't matter because I was the manager, right? <laughs> so, so there was that kind of power dynamic where it's like, you're not going to make me feel left out because I manage this spot. You know, I know the teacher. I know almost everyone who comes in this place, mm -hmm. right? So uh, hopefully, you know, I, I set somewhat of an example and took the lead and hopefully some other people, you know, might wear things that they're comfortable with. But yeah, it, it's definitely something I've thought a lot about also, being someone who is so involved with the other types of yoga and the other limbs of yoga, you know, I, I really see this yoga's continuous flirtation with gym culture. Mm. Um, and, you know, I talk about this earlier in the episode. This isn't specifically American, right? This is how yoga kind of like migrated out of Southeast Asia is, right, is, is in gym culture, European gym culture. So for me... You know, I have to be careful about not being too self-righteous and not being too separatist. But at the same time, I don't want it to look like I'm about to do Pilates. I'm not here for Pilates. You know what I mean? I'm here to practice yoga. And there's a difference. And, you know, I mean, if you know me, you know, I, I, I pretty much live in, in gym clothes. But when I do yoga these days, I, I specifically make it a habit to, you know, wear things that are appropriate to me and appropriate to where I am that day. And that won't get in the way. That won't be a distraction, uh, Christina, like you said, um, which is funny too, because I think that yoga has been a little bit sexualized, especially recently, you know, um, and even when you look on Instagram, you see all these beautiful women and doing the splits and, you know, their booty cheeks are out and it's this big thing. And it's just kind of like, what, you know, what are we really doing here? Right is this about look at me, look at me, or is this about feeling in harmony with myself and others in the world? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, hmm. That is, sorry, one second. That is definitely something that is, I don't know if it's even like a necessary evil. Um, I think that's just how it is in general. Like they're selling a certain product that's a lot of different like yoga cultures online, even if they're not naked. I'm like, a lot of it can look very corny and like contrived, but that's just the nature of, I think, marketing on Instagram. Um, to me, I don't know if it bothers me as much. I understand that like sticking to I don't know, because I'm also someone who really would also prefer to, like, practice naked just because it makes me feel more comfortable. Um, but that's me at my crib. That's not, like, me in a studio. <laughs> but <laughs> I'm sure that's probably coming soon. <laughs> <laughs> naked <laughs> yoga. 
Listen, it's right around the corner. <laughs> but I feel like even when I look back at some of like pictures of like the founding yogis, I'm like, y'all were also low key naked. Wearing loincloth. A white sheet. Like, what's the difference if homie was topless or if I'm topless? Like, that's a whole different discussion about like sexualizing women's bodies wow. in a very specific way. Um, but yeah, I guess for me, I'm just like, get in where you fit in like if that's what makes you feel comfortable doing the splits on sand in a thong bikini sis i'm not putting my pussy lips <laughs> on the sand for other logistical reasons but if that's what you want to do go cray um, i think what more so makes me nervous about that kind of stuff is like if that's all you're doing and then you're not like showing people the progression of how you got into the splits or the fact that like you have a history being a gymnast and that's mm. why this might be a little bit more accessible for you. Don't just like hop into the splits and be like, I learned this in a month. <laughs> Everyone's hips are not the same. Hips are like snowflakes and you can't, I feel like that's where it becomes really dangerous for like people's just self-esteem and willingness to like take care of themselves. Cause they get like discouraged right off the bat like oh if I can't do the splits that deep then something must be wrong with me there's nothing wrong with anybody's hips just we're not all being honest about (laughs) how long that may have taken I don't know or what route you took to get to your splits but yeah go crazy get naked I don't know (laughs) (laughs) Olga what are your thoughts um well first I think that I really want um, hips are like snowflakes on something. <laughs> I just love that. Coming soon, stickers, <laughs> patches, pins. Yeah. Do you want to own a yoga studio? Um, do you see that in actually, the future? This would be a fantastic question for Oka because <laughs> she do want to own one. Um, I personally, the way my chart, my constitution, my whole humanhood is set up, I am young mutable water sign over here so that is not in my dna makeup taking on that much <laughs> responsibility i think it's because i've worked at so many and and like as like front desk or like just doing like karma yogi programs or teaching and so i get to like see a lot of what it takes to first of all own a fitness studio or any kind of like fitness thing in the bay area um And all that goes into it. And I'm like, it's a lot of like mothering and like, Mm. you got to be like 50,000 different people's babysitter. Like someone breaks into the studio. This, I don't know, things like that. (laughs) The logistical side of it does not excite me at all. And the consensus from people who I've talked to who have owned studios or started their own entrepreneurship situation is that like somewhere along the line for a long period of time they begin to get very resentful of this thing that they fell in love with and I think I'm not interested in like swallowing my whole life up with something like that like putting too many eggs in one basket I think if you feel the calling to do it, absolutely. We could use a lot less core powers and a lot more like culturally minded fucking studios that give back to the community that they're in. Um, 
I do actually want to have a yoga studio. Um, I already wrote out the business plan for it. So I have like a four-year projected financial income and goals and everything, startup costs. I just need to find a place that I want to stay at. Because, I mean, you know, like Mm. you said, you're going to have to be there for a while, making sure that everything is good. You know, and I haven't found a place in the world yet where I'm like, this is my home. Right. This is where I want to stay. (laughs) Right. Y'all love to just dip out and not tell nobody. All y'all who are trying to open them, let me know. I will absolutely teach. I'll do whatever. (laughs) I shall not. I just don't. It's networking for me. But y'all often want to teach, I feel like, or like open a studio. Like that would make sense. Like I could see you leading some sort of like meditation seminary. Oh, for that, yeah. Because in my head, I don't see it being like a like a hot power yoga studio. I feel like that's not Vanessa's jam. No, there's gonna be weed. There's gonna be lots of yin. There's gonna be just lots of chanting and colorful Hindu deity. Yeah, yeah, all that shit, all that good shit. Um, What I'm interested in is the Olka, the Olka yoga show. When is that happening? We have already chatted me and her about her. I just, I can't wait. I'm like, I know that's probably going to happen. I'm waiting for the housing crisis, the housing bubble to burst. I forgot what we were doing one day. (laughs) And we were very high on shrooms at the Open Museum. And there was like one name that came to mind. I wrote it down. Oh, yes. You did write it down. You got to find that. Props to y'all, though. <laughs> Own your studios. I'm honestly amazed that Oakland doesn't have more Black-owned yoga studios. I know we're about I think a there's quarter. Three in the country. I know. How many are there? Well, I know that there's, like, somewhere around 16 yoga studios in Oakland, and I know that at least four of them are Black-owned. Oh, that's not that many. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, that would be great. Um but Olka, I think you were saying something earlier about we were talking about somewhat of the the sexualization of yoga and you know yoga clothes and stuff, and you were just about to get into that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, like Christina was saying, um, you know, I think there is that real worry of people injuring themselves or mm-hmm. people being dissuaded from even trying it because their body doesn't look that way or they know, you know, their their hips can't do that. Um, and I think that is a really real worry. One thing that I will say um, that changed my mind a little bit about this um, was something that came up actually in all of our teacher training um, where one of our teachers said that they believed in the technology of yoga more than kind of all of this other stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's something that's really stuck with me because I think about how I got into yoga and it really was because I was competitive. I mean, I went to a yoga class and there was someone who was skinny and white and who was practicing next to me, who could get into every single pose and their body looked amazing. And I was like, man, if she can do that, I can do that, you know? And that was my desire from at the beginning to get into this practice. 
And then once I got into it, I mean, the road takes you really far with yoga. I mean, then you're discovering, okay, this is more than physical practice. And all of a sudden you're meditating and all of a sudden, you know, your parents are calling you a hippie. Like, (laughs) (laughs) yeah. And I think it's like, you know, I like the get in where you fit in, where it's like, maybe there is one thing that might appeal to people and they might think of getting into yoga as a specific getting into a pose that looks a certain way or getting a body that looks a certain way. But then I do have trust and faith that once you're in it, you start to find things that are a little bit deeper than that kind of sexualized or just visual visualized or aesthetic aspect um, that a lot of yoga is being promoted with right now. Yeah. I like that. Um, it reminds me of what one of my teachers said, Dr. Graham Schweig. He said, never judge someone off of what kind of yoga that they do, right? And so this was in a class I was taking on the Yoga Sutra, but he was like, if someone has an exclusively asana practice, they're always doing posture, never judge them because Mm -hmm. one limb leads to the others. If it's done with actual, you know, consistency and enthusiasm and devotion, it will lead you to the other limbs. So Mm -hmm. yeah, I think I also am learning how to have uh, trust and faith that even if people are drawn into it for, you know, uh, more mundane reasons that they'll eventually find their way to the the true spiritual practice. Mm-hmm. Definitely. I think it's also just like important to remember that like ego death is like a lifelong situation to get rid of. Like we mm-hmm. still live in a very like egocentric me everyone's looking at me even though they're not looking at you because they're also thinking everyone's looking at them (laughs) so that can I feel like we all just have to be patient with people and eventually what they what is supposed to be for them will get drawn to them like through their own practice I feel like everyone has their own aha moment um Mm -hmm. While they're in the middle of practicing, I know for me, I had a teacher, Vanessa, we talked about this last time. Um, I had a teacher who like was very good at kind of meeting the needs of her class where they were at. And while we were, it was a studio that had mirrors. And um, like while we were in the middle of like practicing, she just told us all to like turn around because she saw that we were focusing way too much on looking in the mirror as opposed to like staying in our body. Um, and that kind of changed the way I began to practice, I think at home with like less judgment and less critique and kind of just like learning to listen to whatever my body's giving me that day. Um, yeah. Um, I will say I love that you're doing this. I love that you've taken this project on and that you're, you know, being another voice um, of making yoga more accessible and showing folks that it is for people of color, it is for mm-hmm. black women, um, you know, <laughs> and that we we can really benefit a lot from this practice in this world. So thank you so much for doing this. And thank you for the really thoughtful questions you've asked. Oh, you're welcome. Yeah, um, I'm just nosy. And I want to know why (laughs) shit is the way that it is. Um, And I love to hear myself talk. And I love to hear all of you. I love to hear you talk too. (laughs) (laughs) I love this. Um, Well, thank you so much for being on the vessel. Uh, Until next time. Bye.